Well, listen, we're in a sermon series, and uh, it's, it's essentially about this title, God Became Flesh. God Became One of Us. And it's this, this idea that is kind of upside down, because in a day and age where humans are trying to ascend to be like God, we as Christians believe that God flipped things upside down and humbled himself to become like one of us. Uh, and that's what we celebrate in Advent, that's what we celebrate as we head towards Christmas, the whole idea that God would do this crazy idea to humble himself to become like one of us. The Apostle John recorded it like this in John 1.14. He says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so what we're going to be talking about in this series is that if, if God came as one of us, if, uh, if, if Jesus came to live like one of us, just a stranger on the bus. What the question is, is why? Why did Jesus need to come to live among us? Why? Um, what is the significance of the word becoming flesh? Like what difference does it actually make? And I think it's important for us to wrestle with that. It's one of those things that is mostly assumed but rarely explained. And Because um, if you think about this, like um, if it was simply for Jesus to come and to die for our sins, then what was the point of the rest of it? What was the point of him coming as a baby? What was the point of him teaching and healing and living for over 30 years? Like, what was the point of all of that? And so it's multifaceted. And so we're, we've been talking about it. And last week we talked about how uh, one of the reasons that the word became flesh, one of the reasons that God sent his son is so that we could know God, so that we could know the Father There are some things that you can only know about God by knowing his son, Jesus. Religion won't get you there. Uh, Mental, uh, more intellectual information won't get you there. Looking at nature won't get you there. Looking inside yourself won't won't get you there. Like we talked about last week that Jesus is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life. And, and the way to get to home, the way to get to the Father is, is through him and these are the words that he speaks. John writes it this way in John 1.18, just a few verses later, he says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is the, in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And so the life of Jesus reveals the heart of the Father. Let me say that again. The life of Jesus reveals the heart of the Father. His very, his very existence, the fact that God sent his one and only Son, reveals the heart of God. And so if you want to know about God, get to know Jesus. And in a day and age where we have a lot of people that are very spiritual and want to know the Creator, the One, the Being, all of these things, Jesus comes in and changes the game and says, essentially, if you want to know about the Father, get to know me. He says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus is perfect theology. Essentially, if you've seen Jesus, then you've seen the Father. This is, this is really great, like from like a 30,000-foot level. And we talked about it pretty much from like a 30,000-foot level last week. And people are like, yeah, okay, cool. I get that. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And, um, you know, no, nobody else comes to the Father except through him. And from a 30,000-foot level, we can kind of have understanding about it. But as I was just studying this week, I just felt like I couldn't move on without showing you what this means, um, what it means to 
have Jesus give us a better understanding of the Father. And so today what we're going to do, we're going to, um, it's in continuing with this, but I, I really want to give you guys just like a, an example. And we're going to look at just like one story out of all the stories, out of all of the book of John, out of all Matthew, Mark, and Luke, like out of all of the gospels, there's this one story that I just kind of picked out, John chapter 9, and it's this kind of uh, awkward and humorous um, story um, of Jesus encountering a blind man. And what, what I hope, what my prayer is, is that we will learn from Jesus some things about the Father that we wouldn't have known unless we know the Son. This is the beauty, that Jesus didn't just come as a baby and then die a sinner's death for your sins. He also came so that we could understand and to know to an even greater degree the heart of the Father. And we're going to see this in John chapter 9. I'm going to just pull some things out. I'll probably miss some things. Hopefully, you'll see some things. I, my prayer is that as you read through the Gospels, I'm going to give you some homework later on that you would just pick up one of the Gospels and just ask that question as you're reading. What am I learning about the Father through the Son? And that's what we're going to do, John chapter 9. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me um, as we honor the reading of God's Word. John chapter 9, we're going to read just verses 1 through 11. I'll probably I'll go on a little bit further um, from that when, in, in the preaching. But let's read verses 1 through 11. As he went along, Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which this word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. His, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, 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 he looks like him. But he himself insisted, I, I, I'm the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. Lord, I just thank you for this awkward, um, this awkward encounter with Jesus. It's full and rich of all kinds of things that we learn about the heart of the Father that we only learn through getting to know the Son. Lord, I pray that you would explode this, this, uh, this encounter to us. Help us to, to see you in a greater degree, know your heart, that you would correct even those kind of religious tendencies in our own heart, that we would see you clearly as we get to know Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You be seated. Thanks. So, so we got this, this guy. He's been born blind. He's a blind man. Um, what's most interesting to me isn't necessarily that there's a blind man because we see Jesus heal other blind people and lame people and beggars and things like that. What's interesting to me is the disciples' question. Verse 1 says that Jesus saw the man, and then verse 2, the disciples asked him, I'll read it, he says, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, 
that he was born blind. And we, I want you to just take a step back and, and, and just put yourself in this, in this, this encounter, this whole ordeal, like they are literally walking with Jesus, the Word become flesh, the Messiah, the healer, the Savior. They're walking with him. And they are more concerned with judging the man than asking Jesus to heal him. Isn't that interesting? I mean, Jesus sees him, but they just see the mess. Jesus sees the man, and they're just like, you know, well, I got a question about that guy, right? The disciples start to, to judge him. And this, this, we have to reconcile with this a little bit. Like, instead of caring for the blind man, they, they want to have a theological argument about him. Kind of in front of him. Maybe off to the side, but, you know, when, you're, when one of your senses goes, the other ones are heightened. So he probably hears them talking about him as he's sitting there, blind and begging. And it's so sad as we kind of listen to this. We're like, man, I can't, I can't even believe that these guys would, um, would just disregard the humanity of this man and his need and start to think, well, maybe we could just have a theological discussion about like why he's in the place that he's in. But quite honestly, I watch God's beloved do that all day long. I watch God's followers get distracted by theological, political, critical discussions rather than get focused on the hurting people that are all around them. I want to take a look and say, well, why is this person in the place that they're in, rather than reach out in compassion to the person that is hurting? And I think the reality is, is that as long as the church is concerned with judging the world rather than introducing the world to Jesus, then we will continue to wonder why the world actually avoids us rather than is compelled to be attracted to us. And this is kind of at the heartbeat. This is, this is why Jesus came. Like This is the, some of the stuff that Jesus is dispelling, even amongst his followers. It's really easy when the Pharisees do it, because we're like, ah, oh, the Pharisees, you know, they're the bad people, and they're the people that get it wrong, and they're all religious. These are Jesus' followers. These are the people that had just witnessed Jesus do miracles and heal people. And this particular theological discussion that they, that they bring up in verse 2 was based upon this belief that we'd like to say is kind of like an old belief, but still kind of creeps into our current idea that, it, that, that anything bad that happens is always a direct result of sin. That's what they're thinking. They're like, this guy's blind, so who's at fault? Is it him? Did he sin? Did he sin like in utero? Like, I mean, what, what did he do wrong to be born blind? Was it him or was it his, his parents' sin? Who's, who's at fault here? And even, you know, like I say that it's sometimes it comes and creeps into us because, you know, I get this question, even, even people that are struggling with sicknesses and like, well, do, Pastor, you know, like, do I have cancer. Is it because I did something bad? Is it because I sinned? Is it because there's something that needs, needs to get fixed on the inside of me? And I'm not saying that there aren't ripple effects of sin. I'm just saying that, like, this kind of linear idea that, like, oh, something bad happened, therefore God caused it, God made it happen, is simply not true. And Jesus answers in verse 3. He says, neither. Well, they're like, it's got to be one or the other. The guy's blind. So who sinned? Whose fault is it? is it? Is it him or is it his parents? And Jesus says, neither. And he goes on. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Which can't be true because everybody sins. But he's saying, like, it's nobody's fault here, said Jesus. And then Jesus introduces us to this big idea about the father that they probably would have never known. 
without the Son. He says, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So like one of the things that we learn about the Father through Jesus is this, that God will sometimes display his power through our pain. And it's not very popular, and I don't necessarily like, like, you know, like this because we don't like to be in pain. We don't like to, to suffer. We don't like to have things, you know, bad things happen in our life. But the reality is, is that uh, God can sometimes display his power through our pain. He can use our trials and turn them into testimonies. This is the beauty. It's not like, oh, I'm just working on my testimony so that God can, you know, do something out of it, right? But the reality is, is that he can turn our trials into testimonies. I mean, honestly, if we really take a, take a step back, the greatest leverage of God's power and purpose came through Jesus' pain, his death on the cross that made a way where there seemed to be no way. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, but he said to me, this is Jesus speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so we learn something about the Father through the Son about suffering. Even just the life of Christ and all the things that he went through as we look through the book of Acts, the things that, that happened to Paul, like we realize that God can use our pain and leverage it for his purpose and, and cause his power to be on display through our weaknesses. He, we think that he should be using our strengths and lean into some of our talents and our God-given gifts. And Jesus is like, uh, look, at it, if, you, if, I could just, if I could just strip all those things back and if you could just bear your vulnerabilities and your weakness, I want to show myself mighty on behalf of those. It doesn't make sense for us and, it, and it's, it's a little unnerving that God does not condemn us because of our weaknesses. He desires to display his power. Hello? Oh, it's back. I don't know what that was. He displays, he displays his power through our weaknesses. So let me, let me read this for you. Um, he goes on in verse 6. This is where it gets good, okay? After saying this, he spit on the ground. Come on. This is weird. He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. And if we're going to be really honest, we don't really have a, um, an image for Jesus doing this. I, I, don't really, uh, I, I don't have an image for Jesus doing... <laughs> I literally looked it up. I thought, maybe there's like a, like a Caravaggio painting of Jesus, like <laughs> making a mud pie. I, I looked it up. I was like, I looked on Google, which is like, you know, where you'd find something, and... Um, this is the image. I think, I, I think they have it up here. It's this, this is kind of like indicative of the images that I was finding of Jesus and John chapter 9 healing the blind man. And, and, if, and if you kind of notice, um, it, it doesn't truly convey the amount of spitting that must have happened in this encounter. Um, in fact, this is John chapter 9. Um, 
kind of, I don't, know the, I don't know the painter of this thing, but you don't even see the mud. You don't see any of the kind of the messiness, the awkwardness of this whole thing. I did that whole like 23andMe um, ancestry DNA thing where you have to fill up a little vial with saliva. Um, no joke, it took me two minutes, two solid minutes to make up enough spit. It was disgusting, okay? It was literally, my wife's like, are you done with that? That is gross, right? I'm literally like, I'm working on it. I'm trying to milk it, you know what I mean? doesn't work. Like, you get all dry. As soon as you need spit, you're like, I have no spit ever. How am I surviving? Right? You're like, you literally you can't do it. And so, uh, two minutes of a very disgusting time of milking my salivary glands to fill up just a small little vial. And so, my point is this. In the reality of this scenario, I honestly think that it took way longer than we would like to imagine it. And it got way more awkward than we would like to paint a picture about. And this, this is that messy messiness of the beauty of when God just begins to work in our lives. We like to make it all clean and everything's great and this looks awesome, right? But the reality is that sometimes Jesus gets really messy and he's not afraid to get down and dirty with us. And what I find even more amusing is that there is nothing in this encounter that tells us that this guy was asking for it. There is nothing in this encounter that tells us that this guy was expecting it. And yet, we see this guy leaning in, like, give me all the spit, give me all the dirt, right? I mean, give me all the mud. Like, almost like he knew it was holy spit. There is nothing. You can go ahead and read it yourself again and be like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, there is nothing that this guy was even spoken to. They're talking about this guy on the side. Jesus spits an awkward amount in an awkward amount of time. There's no conversation with this man as he makes mud. Clay, we call it later on. And then he reaches out and puts it in the man's eye. The man didn't even know that it was coming or what the heck was happening. Not that it would probably help. If I told you I was going to be putting mud in your eye, you probably wouldn't be like, oh, put it all in, right? And this, this is, well, the, the reality that like, I think when we encounter Christ, we have no idea the things that he wants to do in our lives. We're not prepared for it. And it comes suddenly. And we never expect it. And he goes on in verse 7. You can take that off there. He said, yeah, go, he told him. First time he speaks to the man, go. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so the men went and washed and came home seeing. The beauty of, 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 a, of this miracle is that the first step was his obedience. Say, so go and wash. Okay, fine. And he goes and he washes in the pool that Jesus told him to. Now, you would think that this would um, spark a revival or a parade or clapping or something, right? We see none of that. All we see are the crowd doubting. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, 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 he only looks like him. But he himself insisted um, hi, I, I, I'm the man. This poor guy gets talked a lot about right in front of his face. 
literally. Jesus and the disciples are like, hey, what, you know, why, why do you think this guy's in here? Right? Is it him or is it, is it his parents, right? And then the, the man is healed. He can see now. He never had a problem hearing, but he can see. And the, guy, the people around him are like, nah, I think it's his doppelganger. Just give him a poke. Ow, like it's me. It's formerly blind guy, Harold. I don't know what his name was, but he's like, guys, it's me. Hello? Like you could just ask me because I'm the guy who, who, who knows if I was healed or not. And in verse 10, it says, then, oh, how are your eyes open then, they asked. He replied, catch his testimony. He says, the man they call Jesus made some mud. Let's not go into exactly how. And put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. We talked a few weeks ago about like your three-minute testimony and like, like working on your three-minute testimony so that when you're asked for the reason for the hope that you have in Christ, that you have, you know, well, this is, this is how Christ changed me. This guy has like a, he's rocking a 10-second testimony. You can read it. I mean, he's literally, he's like, Jesus, the guy, made mud. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go slow and wash. So I went and washed, and now I can see. His 10-second testimony. And then they ask probably, well, I would say a really dumb question. You're like, well, no question's dumb. Now, this is a dumb question, verse 12. They, they look at this man, and they say, well, where is this man? They asked him. I love that they asked a freshly formerly blind guy. Which way did he go? <laughs> and we get probably the most obvious answer that you could think of. I don't know, he said. I mean, in, in essence, he's like, I was kind of uh, blind. So I didn't catch which direction he went. I was heading, being led to a pool to wash Heck, I couldn't even pick this guy up in a lineup if you put a few guys in front of me because I was uh, blind, right? I have no idea where he went. And verse 13, they brought, to the, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. And you wonder, like, why did they bring him to the Pharisees? It was kind of customary back then that if a miracle happened, then you would go to the Pharisees and then they would verify it and put a stamp on it saying, yes, you were in fact healed. It is a miracle. So they take, they take the formerly blind guy to the Pharisees, and they do their thing. I don't know what, what, it, what it looked like, but it's a series of questions probably, like, okay, you were blind? Yes, I was blind. Was he blind? Yes, he was blind. Okay, now how many fingers am I holding up? Three. Okay, great. Good, you can go now. Like, now here's the problem. There was a problem. It wasn't so much that the guy was healed, it wasn't so much that people were like, oh, well, who is he? Is this, really, is this really Harold? I don't know if it's him or not. Verse 14, this is where the problem comes in. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud <laughs> and opened the uh, man's eyes was the Sabbath. And this is, where, this is where all of a sudden everybody gets all freaked out. They're like, you aren't supposed to work or even perform miracles on the Sabbath. I mean, he might have, even him walking from where he was healed or where he was put the mud in his eyes and walking to the pool of Siloam could have maybe, if people were really looking, saying, you actually worked, you shouldn't have walked that far on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees and the people are like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? In verse 
verse 15. They say this. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And this is the guy's answer. I love it. He's like, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and now I see. Anyone notice that this guy's testimony is getting shorter? I mean, most people, you know, they, get, they tell their testimony once, and then they're like, ah, that wasn't that bad. And then they kind of get a little, like, a little bravado going, and they, like, embellish a little bit. Let me tell you a little bit more here and give me a little details. This guy gets shorter. He's now goes from a 10-second from a testimony down to, like, a 5-second testimony. He's literally like, okay, guys, I, I've told everybody this a, a whole bunch of times, but essentially he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. You get it? My 5-second testimony. And some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. And so what they're saying is this. We know, we know that this is not from God because we know what God does and what God doesn't do. And we know when God does things and when God doesn't do things. And the God box that we have God in says that God takes a day off and will not perform religious miracles on the Sabbath because we have a very highly developed and highly disciplined religious system. Which is why Jesus came. Which is why the word became flesh. Which is why God didn't just send us more information. He sent us himself. In fact, if you look throughout the Gospels, Jesus performs a lot of miracles on the Sabbath, seven to be exact. Not because he wasn't honoring the Sabbath, but because the best way you can honor the Sabbath is to minister to someone else. And he goes on, verse 17. They turn to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man replied, I was a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Now it gets even better. They're like, get your parents in here. Oh, he's a fully grown man. Like, get, your, get your mom and dad in here. And they're like, is this your son? They asked. Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Verse 20. We know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can now see or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He's a grown adult right? He'll, he'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that was why his parents said, well, he's of age, ask him. Like, we don't really want to get involved in this. Why? Because this is our community. We really don't want to get kicked out of this. So, so if it happened, it happened, but I don't necessarily know what happened. And so a second time, they, sum they summoned the man who had been born blind. They bring Harold back in there, right? And they're like, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. So in other words, they're like, just, just tell us the truth. There has to be another explanation because we, we know that this, this man can't be from God because this doesn't make sense. The God box that we have figured out is outside of this box. And, uh, well, we... we, we there's got to be another explanation, which is why Jesus came. 
which is why the Word became flesh. Which is why there are some things that we learn about the Father by getting to know the Son. And I love how this formerly blind guy responds. It's one of my favorite quotes in the Bible. Verse 25. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind. But now I see. That's it. His now two-second testimony. <laughs> I don't know. Look at guys, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a Bible degree. I don't know much. I don't know how many angels can fit on the, the head of a pin. Um, I, 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 I don't know all my theology. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know how all this works. But one thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. That is the beauty of where this guy finally lands. It's his testimony. That he doesn't necessarily have it figured out, but he has faith to know that he was blind. And now he sees. And some of you think that maybe like, well, that you, until you understand everything that you can't believe anything about Christianity, like everything has to get figured out and all of your answers, all of your questions answered. But the reality is, is that many times we're called to take a, a leap of faith even while we still have questions. Not because in the leaping we get all of our questions answered, but because it is in the leaping that God catches us. Like, well, I, I still have some questions that I, that I don't necessarily know. What about the dinosaurs and all of these different things? And the reality is, is that many times we, we, we don't have answers to our questions, but one thing we do know. I was blind, and now I see. Hmm. Verse 26, it continues. They asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, this time he's getting frustrated. This has been like the fourth time. He's already got, he went for his 10 second, his five second, his two second, and now he's like, all right, guys, look, 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 look. Verse 27, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. You even brought my parents in here. That was embarrassing, right? Why do you want to hear it again? And then he says this, do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, I get it. You, you, oh, you guys want to become his disciples too. All right, well, let me tell you my testimony really slowly, right? Like, because obviously you guys are asking me time and time and time again because you're actually interested in this Jesus and you want to become his disciples. I love this. Like this guy, um, he's like, y'all want, you want that? Like, well, just let, let me tell you more. And then it didn't go so well for him. They didn't take it well. Verse 28, they're like, it says, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man replies, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. And everyone in this place, in this whole story, has horrible theology. Really, if you start looking, I mean, like the blind guy says, we know, verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. Not true. Or else none of us would get saved. 
He only listens to the, the godly person who does his will. Not true. Or none of us could talk to God. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. Again, not true. We hear that from Jesus. And they say, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. The second thing that we learn about God through Jesus healing this man is this. God's compassion should inform your theology. Let me say that again. God's compassion should, inf- should inform your theology. See, the Pharisees wanted their theology to inform God's mercy. They're like, this man is undeserving. Who are you to be speaking to us? You are a sinner. You were steeped at sin at birth. Something happened. Either it was you or your parents who sinned. They wanted their theology to inform God's mercy. But what we see here through Jesus is that God's mercy was informing their theology. In other words, God's compassion should overflow your theology. In, in the day, they're, they're like, no, we have it all figured out. This is our God box. God doesn't do his, this type of work on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, uh-uh. No, I actually, I actually do. And, 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 and so when we find ourselves judging and categorizing and criticizing, rather than having compassion for sinners and for someone, then then our theology is wrong. This is what Jesus is correcting because it's not being formed by God's mercy. And if you have a problem with that, take it up with Jesus. The word become flesh, right? And all of the people who he chose to move towards with compassion rather than avoid them. Time and time and time again, as you read through the Gospels this week, we see, and Jesus was moved with compassion, and Jesus was moved with compassion, and Jesus was moved with compassion. He was continually moved with compassion to those who everyone else would rather avoid. He just walks towards them, continually moved with compassion. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, who would that be? You, that would be me, that would be anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Which means that anyone, that would be you, that would be people like you, that would be people that are not like you, that would be people like, that are your friends, and even your worst enemy is as valuable to God as you are. This is the stuff that Jesus came to break down time and time and time again. Which is why he would tell us to do crazy, insane things. Like Matthew 5, he says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why in the world would I add my enemies to my prayer list? I'm, not, I'm barely praying for my friends, right? And he's like, no, pray for your, pray, you know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, pray for your enemies. Why in the world would I add my enemies to my prayer list? Maybe because it is a constant reminder for us that however we view our Heavenly Father, don't you dare limit him to thinking that someone is outside of his mercy and grace. It continually reminds us that even though you don't like them, God does. That he sent his one and only son. For you? Yeah. 
And for them? Uh-huh. What about people that I don't? Mm-hmm, them too. Really? Yeah. That's, that is the compassion. Allow God's compassion to inform your theology. And the third thing that we learn about the Father from the Son is this, that God takes personal interest in individual people. If you, if you just kind of take a look at this, as you read through the, the, one of the Gospels, right, this week, the crazy thing is, is that Jesus, verse 1, we see that Jesus saw the man, but the disciples saw the mess. But Jesus saw him. The disciples just started talking about him. The disciples started a conversation on the side. The disciples started a theological debate. But Jesus saw him. Think about it. Jesus could have healed whole crowds. He could have just, with a wave of a hand, been like, all of you healed. He literally could have, you know, he could have uh, delivered like 5,000 people at one time and just been like, and I speak it into existence and all these people are all of a sudden healed. But he chose to heal people one at a time. Have you ever thought about that? He could have healed whole cities. He could have healed whole, whole crowds, delivered whole crowds in, in, with just a word, but he heals people one at a time because your heavenly father personally cares about individual people and you may never figure that out apart from Jesus. That's the beauty of the word become flesh and dwelt among us. And in knowing the Son, we get to know the heart of the Father. Won't you stand with me? This is the beauty of, of Christmas. This is the beauty of the Word become flesh and, and dwelt among us. This is the beauty of, of that when we get to, if we want to get to know God, get to know His Son. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that nobody comes to the Father except through him. And so he wasn't just a baby that just came, was born, and then died for our sins. He actually, as we read throughout his word, as we get to know him, corrects some theologies and some religiosity in our own hearts and our own minds so that we would know the heart of the Father greater. And I love the story continues in verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that, that they had thrown him out. And when he had found him, catch that? So they threw him out. They probably threw his family out of the synagogue. And Jesus went looking for him. Just like the lost sheep. Just like the lost coin. Just like the lost son. That individuals mattered to Jesus because individuals matter to our Heavenly Father. And he says to the man, verse 35, do you believe in the Son of Man? And I'm sure the guy's like, wait a minute, I recognize that voice. Hold on a second. We, you're, the, you're that guy. You're the guy. You're the guy who healed me. He says, who is he, sir? Verse 36, the man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. You healed me, so just point me in the right direction and I'll, I'll believe, man. I mean, like, I was blind and now I see and it's because of you. So wherever this son of man is, I believe in him. You just point him, you just point him out. You just let me know and I, 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 I trust you. And Jesus said, 
You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. It wasn't enough that, that Jesus, that the man just received mercy and healing. Jesus wanted to meet him personally. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Isn't that powerful? There's three things that we learn just that we learn about our Heavenly Father through the Son is that God will sometimes display his power through our pain, that God says that he is near to the brokenhearted and he asks us to invite him into our pain so that he can do things in you and through you to display his power. The second thing, that God... God's compassion should inform your theology. Like it was, it was God's compassion that drove Jesus to you. And it is that same compassion that should move us to people who we would otherwise avoid. And the third one is that God takes personal interest in individual people. So I have some homework for you this week. As we head into Advent, as we head into Christmas, just just pick up your Bible. Choose Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Just pick one of them. Just start reading through it. But read through it with not just, oh, I'm just going to start reading through it. I just want to get through it. But read through it with this question. What is it that I'm learning about my Heavenly Father through the Son? Because one of the reasons that the Word became flesh is so that we could get to know the Father. Like Father, like Son. Imagine as you start reading through, this is just John chapter 9, this is just one little instance. What is it that you're learning about your heavenly Father? If you want to get to know God, get to know His Son. Get to know the Word of God yourself. And He'll start to change things, start to change you from the inside out, that God takes personal interest in you. And maybe as we, as we enter into this last song today, like, I wonder if maybe today you're kind of in this place where you're like, you know what, I've, I, 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 I've never come to the place of receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. This is where you're at today. I want to just pray with you today as we enter into worship. Maybe you're in this place where you're like, if God really truly cares about me personally, then I desperately want to know him. That's how I came to know Jesus in eighth grade. So maybe you pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I am desperately in need of a savior. And I repent of my sin today, of which there are many. I ask that you would be my Lord and my savior. I pray you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit from the tip of my toes to the top of my head. Change me from the inside out. Change my heart, oh God, that I may become more like you. So Lord, I thank you for those that, that made that decision today. Lord, I, I pray that it would become just the beginning of an adventure of getting to know their Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you that you make a way where there was no way for us. That Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life came as a baby, but lived a life that teaches us and breaks down our theologies to instruct us the heart of our Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Let's worship together.